Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Boys and girls, welcome to another episode, the 134th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter and also at Golf Obsessed on Twitter for uh, those of you who want to start following that as well. Uh, excited to talk to you tonight about the Seahawks, the NFC West 2020 division champion Seattle Seahawks getting ready for their final game of 2020. In fact, it will be their first game of 2021. Um, this Sunday against the hated rival San Francisco 49ers. Let me bring in the crew. Uh, we will start uh, ladies first with Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG. How you doing, Dana? I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm a lot better after last Sunday. That's for yeah. sure. So yeah, it was like a huge relief to me. And so it's like, now I can just, I almost enjoy this game and not really let it matter too much. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to, we didn't get a chance in the post game to talk to you. Yeah. So we'll, we'll uh, definitely uh, reflect a little bit on that as well. Uh, next let's bring in uh, Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. He's in a cottage somewhere. Where, where in Canada? Do we get to know like roughly where? Or I, I don't want to out. Um, it's about an hour north of Toronto. It's called. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's called Innisfil. It's on Lake Simcoe, which is a huge area around here. Brian, your your wife might know that. Innisfil. Is that right? Yeah. Do they have an In and Out in Innisfil? Oh, oh, I wish. <laughs> That is a terrible, terrible way to start the show. I wish. I mean, much How dare you? How dare you? Well, uh, a cottage near a lake in, you know, sounds in the winter, you know, sounds like a very nice way to spend some time with uh, uh, someone you care about. So uh, good on you. Welcome to the show. Good to have you. And then, um, and thanks for, thank, 
thanks to your girlfriend for giving uh yeah a bit of your time. it's not easy to explain how we all know each other because she's definitely not like into like sports twitter and she's trying to explain like what i had to do she's like if you want to do it go i'm like okay she was dead she's, she's great like that <laughs> I got to talk to my internet friends about Seattle yeah. sports and the memes we do on the internet. We do I'm it for an hour every yeah, week. See, Alex has Twitter. So like it's much easier to explain. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to tell her that you need to go to mom's basement to, to start your show and uh, she'll, she'll get it. Uh, you already heard his voice making awful, awful jokes. Uh, his name is Evan Hill at Evan and S E A bang, bang, dude. How are you doing? Bang, bang. It is officially a year since our, uh, you know, fun week we had with the faithful who are not super present this year. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I, I like today, I kind of forgot that we were playing the Niners this week almost. And, and that's, you know, it was in the back of my mind, but it, it but like, I almost forgot about it in a sense. And it's just crazy how much that team, has changed performance wise and even personnel wise in the past year. Uh, last year was so much more heated, you know, day by day, there was just like trading insults back and forth. I remember last year, they even, I, I think they stormed the chat of this show, both, oh, both yeah. like on, on both matchup weeks. And especially in that week 17, they were the faithful as, as we like to call them, uh, we're, we're very vocal and they seem pretty silent this week, which is interesting because I know they had a really mighty revenge tour going on this year, but I know we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, it, it is um, a little counterintuitive, Dana, that the faithful seem to show up when their team's the best in the league, but when they're struggling, they're nowhere to be found. I haven't looked up the dictionary definition of faithful, but that seems to be a <laughs> little bit flying in the face of that definition. Uh, you're, you're, you're an even keeled person. Like what's, what's your experience with 49ers fans compared to the rest of the league? Well, it's definitely different than Evans. <laughs> I will <laughs> say that for sure. No, you know, here's the way I see it. There are, long-term 49ers fans and then just like every fan base there are you know bandwagon fans I think the interesting thing in the case of San Francisco and there's a few East Coast teams that are like this too that the bandwagon fans end up being the loudest it's not the long-term fans it's not the fans that have been around forever and, and I'm not saying Seattle doesn't have those type of fans too because there are a handful of them also but it just seems to really be with San Francisco and a couple of others that the long-term true faithful fans are much more kind of roll with the punches sort of people, but those more bandwagony fans, the people who showed up last year, you know, they're the loudest and they're the most obnoxious and, you know, they know the least about their teams. Yeah. It's, I mean, for folks that don't know, I mean, it's worth telling the story. We won't get into great detail, but, but I mean, Evan and I like to harass, you know, and, and in a good natured way, like uh, rival fans and, and we were really leading up to the last game of, of last season where the Seahawks were playing the 49ers. Was it the last game or second last? I can't remember. Whatever it was. And 
and especially for the division title and the 49ers roster was stacked. I mean, they just were clearly the most talented team in the NFL. Like was no question. And the Seahawks had managed to beat them the first game, which was like awesome. And then this last game, they were, the Seahawks had everybody out. I mean, Marshawn Lynch was playing, like they were just like decimated. And so Evan and I spent a lot of time leading into that game, just like pretty good natured taunting of like, man, you would have, it would be an absolute disaster if you were a 49er team to lose to this Seahawks team for the division. Like you would have to be like to really have screwed the pooch to do that. And, and we're just like, you know, basically teasing them about that potential. And And after the game, when they won by the slimmest of margins, like the Seahawks made the stupidest maybe mistake. I I still will say the delay of game penalty from the one inch line was the worst play in Pete Carroll's tenure. It's worse than the Super Bowl play. It was so avoidable. It was such a big moment for them. Like, and they just like blew that. And then 49ers fans were just like, all over Evan and I, and they doxed us. And for people that don't know what doxing is, they actually published uh, our addresses, um, what they thought were our addresses uh, online with the intent of hoping that some 49ers fans would come and do physical harm or do either to us or our families, our houses. Like that's, that's kind of our experience. And, and, you know, you could go back and look at all the things we said. None of it was particularly like, incendiary i mean it was good natured sports ribbing like i mean let me put it this way i was being a complete asshole all week (laughs) long but but nothing that warranted you know like some sort of physical real life backlash like you were i think being a little bit more good natured than i was uh me i was tweeting every day at like 7 a.m fuck the niners you know fuck the faithful you all are pieces of shit basically (laughs) every single morning so i don't know if i was being good natured but i do think uh what we received was unwarranted yeah yeah it it was it was um you know i had to call the cops you know and one of the funniest call it wasn't funny at the time but trying to talk to the bellevue police department and tell them what doxing was and what twitter was like they had no idea like it was like okay, here's how you screw a light bulb in. I mean, they, they like had no idea about this stuff. But anyway, like I hate, here's the thing. I actually like this 49ers team, the personnel and the coaching staff and the front office more than probably any I can remember. I like John Lynch. I like Kyle Shanahan. I don't like Robert Sala. I, something about him bugs me. I like, I like uh, Richard Sherman. I like Fred Warner. Like, I like Debo Samuel. Like there's a lot of guys on this team that I actually like, um, but I hate the fans. And that will never, you know, change. what's weird though, Brian is like, what? I have a couple of friends like in real life, not, not Twitter friends that are <laughs> Niner fans. And they're some of the best like people I know. So it, it, for me, it's a very polarizing relationship with that fan base either they're utter trash like despicable human beings or they're like really good friends of mine so yeah i i don't know it's just anecdotal experience but 
Yeah, I, I think suffice to say the relationship has been uh, treacherous. Strained, strained. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, uh, I, I mean, clearly can't help but start talking about the 49ers. I don't care what their record is. They could be one, they could be 0 and 15. And well, I would let, want well, to Brian, let's congrats them on six wins. Them. Ryan, they had a quest for six. And you know what? <laughs> They reached those six wins. You know what? They are at six wins. Yeah. We, we have to give them credit where credit is due. Yeah. Congratulations like on your hangover. quest for six. That Super Bowl hangover clearly didn't happen. They got their six. So, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Those faithful completely gone. Um, let's get back to the 49ers in a bit. Plenty to talk about there. Um, Dana, you haven't had a chance to like share your feelings about what was, I would argue the best, most complete game the Seahawks have played against a quality opponent all year. In a game uh, that mattered. Agree. Yeah. It, it, in a game that isn't, I think that's what it is, Brian. It's like this game mattered. And instead of squeaking through, they ran through that team. And there, that was the difference. I, I think that I really felt this time was that, you know, yes, I'm nervous the entire damn game. Cause you know, at any minute, the whole, you know, floor could drop out from underneath of you, but it just felt like Seattle had command. It was such a great defensive game on both sides. I love defense. You guys know that I just absolutely love defense. It's my favorite part of the game. And this was such a great defensive game. And I have such a football crush on Aaron Donald and honestly would probably give up Russell Wilson to get Aaron Donald on my team. Don't kill me people. I'm just saying, but the thing of it is, is that, um, this just felt good from Seattle. It felt like it was supposed to be this way. And the defense looked better. They looked like they were, you know, very strong. Oh my God, that stand on the goal line. It's now up there with some of my favorite, you know, parts of games. And, you know, it's, it's, it was just so fun to watch. I will say this. Um, I think that Seattle, the team needed that win almost as much as the fans did. I feel like that they really needed to put their stamp on the Rams um, to, I think that Pete Carroll needed to get that kind of win over McVay. And to be honest with you, I feel kind of bad for McVay. I mean, his, his team is a mess right now. And, and you could tell he was just frustrated on the sidelines, which is exactly what you want to see from an opponent's coach. And, and so it was just fun. It was just a good game to watch as a fan and as a defense lover. And, and I'm pretty sure that that's, it's really what the team needed, not even just winning the division, which is huge, but they just needed that win from them. You know what I realized, Dana? Watch, I was rewatching the game today, yeah. uh, which which I love. I was watching it in the in the tub. Uh, great. Thanks for that visual, Brian. Really, great, really appreciate like, that. Awesome. Tub time thing, man. I've got like the little bath caddy, and I can put a little iPad up and just watch the game. Yeah. Do you have the little table that goes oh, over the top. Oh, so good. And, and Next I was time, about take you, a selfie, Evan. Brian. I was, I was oh, they, oh, so you were. I was thinking about you in the tub. I was. You were naked in the tub watching the Seahawks game. Yes. Thinking about your contributor who's half your age. I was thinking, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, (laughs) I I saw Sean McVay and his perfectly quaffed hair. And I was thinking, oh, I get it now. Like Evan loves Sean McVay because he's a metrosexual finesse boy. 
<laughs> and and that's what Sean McVay. You know what really triggered it for me was Aaron Andrews' halftime report. You noticed that too. He said running into the locker room, McVay was all a huff because it was a six-six game. It was uglied up, and McVay was super uncomfortable. He's like, "My offense isn't running. It's not pure. I don't like this. I don't like it." And Pete Carroll was like, "I love it. Like we're good." And that's what you're talking about, Dana. This was a muddy, dirty, like physical game not what McVeigh's comfortable with mm -mm. Mm -mm. not what McVeigh's comfortable with it's exactly what Pete Carroll's comfortable with and guess what more often than not that's what playoff football games look like and the they NFL. said that on the on the broadcast they were talking about during the, the the commentators and 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 I don't know which one it was I don't know if it was Buck or not but they said this is Pete Carroll's kind of game if you're gonna lay this game out you, who, which coach are you going to know that's going to win this game? It's going to be Pete Carroll. And I think that was at halftime. That wasn't even later in the game. They're like, this is how he like, this is the trenches. And this is where Pete Carroll shines. Yeah. So, you know, your boy McVay, uh, Evan, you know, just uh, he's, he's too used to the finesse game. And, and so Jeff, I mean, do you feel like the Seahawks right now, do you feel like the formula that they're playing with is sustainable? And, and that's my first question for you. And two, do you feel like they have the opportunity to improve on, on what they're doing right now? I think, yeah, and to answer your first question, I think the reason I'm so optimistic right now is because I absolutely do think it's sustainable. And after that Giants game, I was pretty down. I wrote, I wrote a piece on the blog basically kind of blasting the direction of the team and last week was a little weird in the Washington game but this week what they did against that opponent and proving that the defense is for real and then the seeing the second half on offense I absolutely think sustainable and I absolutely think they have a Super Bowl formula and I think that's why we're all so optimistic because really there was no game this year where you really saw that you saw bits and parts on offense you saw bits and parts in defense that was the whole thing where like complimentary football came in and it all worked together. And when they play like that against that opponent, I do think this is a team. And to answer your second question, yes, they can definitely get better, especially on offense because the first half they took too many sacks that were avoidable. They had a lot of plays they could have made on third down. And in the second half, you saw what they're capable of. They're no longer going to be the explosive down the field offense. I think that's gone. But if they can be that new kind of offense, which is balanced and can do a bunch of different things, they absolutely can get better. There's no reason they can't. That's interesting. That's interesting. So I want to hear from all of you on this. So one of the things you said, Jeff, was I don't think it's the down the field stuff that's gone. Here's my take on it. And, and I want to check this with you guys. So I don't think that stuff's gone. And I know you don't mean literally gone. No, I don't mean gone. I mean what they were in the first five weeks. I think that's over. Yeah, I think I think that having it that easy is probably I think that's fair. That that's gonna be hard to recreate. But the way you open up that deep passing game is for Russell and the the offense to be more decisive and more effective with the short and intermediate routes and for the run game to do well. If you do those two things, then all of a sudden the defense is gonna have to adjust. They're gonna have to honor those shorter routes, and you're gonna have options for play action and other things that go deeper. So, I mean, those two things, plus I think people forget the offensive line, the pass protection really took a dive during the like middle part of the season. Guys, it's 
better. Like it's a lot better than it was. I thought Cedric Abwehi and Dwayne Brown played a fantastic game against a really good defensive line. And that's two in a row against, they're not going to see two better defensive lines in the playoffs than they just faced the last two weeks. They really killed the tackle position. What's that? I'm sorry to jump in here. No, Uh, go ahead. They really nailed the tackle position in free agency. Like, (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but like, I know we've all discussed how down we were on the Brandon Shell signing. We thought it was mediocre at best, but the Cedric signing just seemed like almost like a camp body. Like, you know, no, no reasonable ceiling whatsoever. He was tagged as being the next George Fant. That's what people said. He was going to be a blocking, like extra tackle. He's been more than competent. Like, I think he's surpassed expectations. Dana. Considering where he was in the first game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, and Bengals fans hate him, by the way. Like absolutely hate him. He was was very Ifedi-ish. Yeah. He was was definitely Ifedi-ish in the first game. Yeah. Um. I mean, Dana, do you, do you feel like, I mean, what's the number one thing you think needs to happen for this offense to, to take a step forward, even from where they are right now? Um, it may seem simplistic, but I think they have to get DK Metcalf back in the groove. I think that, that he has been a little gone the last few games, whether it's due to his own mistakes, whether he's dropping passes, whether it's due, and I'm not saying completely, he still had some amazing, he's still DK Metcalf. But that insanity that we saw from him in the first part of the season, I think teams have adjusted to that. And I think that's what Jeff was alluding to is that that part of it is gone to a certain extent. So you have to find other ways to get some of that explosiveness back. Um, I also think that you need a little bit more out of Tyler Lockett. Um, I'm not sure what has been the deal with Tyler this year. I know that that there just seems something different there. Maybe it's injury. I don't know. Don't know. But I think you need to get that. You need to get that sizzle back from DK Metcalf. I think the run game is exactly where it needs to be. Um, For as much as people have been complaining about Russell, I think Russell's actually managed the games pretty well. And I think the the short pass, quick, you know, quick throw game plan worked against Washington and somewhat against the Rams. And I think that that needed to happen because of those lines, those defensive lines. But I think we need to get that sizzle back from DK Metcalf just a little bit. We need some of those stupid, crazy, fantastic catches. And I think that he can do it. It's just going to be getting out of his own way just a little bit. And then Russell getting a little more time in the pocket just so they can develop more. Dana, the only thing I'll add on to that comment is I feel there's a little bit more burden that needs to be placed on Russell because in the past four or five games, Russell has not targeted DK early in, in, I think in in the past two or three games, it's taken either till the late second quarter for DK to get his first target. Now, obviously they've played some really good defenses recently, but um, I don't know. I I, I think, I think Russell needs to give DK some more shots. I think he's earned that. I I would agree with that too. I, I don't think that, I don't know if it was game plan. I don't know if it was scheming. I don't know if it's because, you know, he does get so much attention from the defenses that opened up other things. I mean, as much as everyone hated to admit it, that was a great catch for more last week. And so, you know, and that came because of distraction. And so I think that that is, um, I, I don't think you're wrong there. I think Russell does need to own that a little bit more, but I just, I need to see that connection again. Um, even if it's just a couple of times a game, it doesn't need to be every play like we were seeing in the first five games. Well, let's, let's, I mean, I want each of your, your votes on this. I mean, 
I think we can all agree Russell's been a top 10 quarterback the the last half of the season. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you want to stretch maybe a top 15. Like yeah. if you want to be <laughs> let's say top 15. I mean, he's not been horrible, but I mean, he's not been he's not been a top 5 quarterback. Sure. I believe for the Seahawks to win a Super Bowl, he has to be a top 5 quarterback the rest of the way. Would you yeah, is, do any of you guys feel like the Seahawks can win a Super Bowl without Russ playing at that level? No. You're going to need to beat Rodgers, maybe Brady. <laughs> That's my concern is that Packers game, that defense is only going to hold for so long. Well, and- here's the thing. Here's what I'm kind of hoping for. You might not have to play the Packers because the Packers might be lined up to play the Bucks in the second round. Mm-hmm. This has been my thought today where all of a sudden, if all the favorites win in the first round, the playoffs, the pa- and the Packers stay at one, they're going to play Tampa in the second round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Tampa whooped them, and Tampa's hot. All of a sudden, if that happens, this is this is just total off. The Seahawks could host the NFC Championship. With the two seed, you're saying? Yeah, I'm just saying. If, there might be a scenario where you don't play Green Bay at all. That's kind of been my daydreaming today. And Tom Brady has been a little bit of a kryptonite for Aaron Rodgers. That is true. He's heating up. I would have no problem playing the Bucks. No problem whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's a little it's a little convenient. I I I mean, every team, I mean, like, look, the Bears, Cardinals, uh, Rams at this point, which is crazy to say, but given where the Rams are, I think the Rams are one of the teams you want to play um, in hmm. the playoffs. Knowing what's going on mm-hmm. with Jared Goff. Oh yeah. Knowing what's going on with, I mean, honestly, even when they had Jared Goff uh, healthy, I think the Seahawks have figured out that offense. And I don't know that there's, there's an easy way for them to resolve that in the time that they've got left. And the Seahawks defense, I think will be able to hold them down and the Seahawks offense will be able to do enough. Like Rams defense is not going to get healthier than they are right now playing at a higher level than they were just now. And the Seahawks, did enough to win that game. So anyway, like yeah, other sorry. than those three teams, I don't think that you can look at the playoffs and feel like, uh, feel like there's a, an easy game. I mean, the bucks are going to be tough. Um, if you have to face them, Tom Brady's always going to be tough to knock out no matter wh- where he's playing. So I'm a little surprised to say, you know, you don't care, but he's just been so inconsistent this year. Mm-hmm. Brady has looked so bad, in, in, you know, in some games, I, I, I think the peak Brady can still appear in the playoffs, but you know, this defense is getting really hot at the right time. And, you know, the pass rush is the strong focal point of this defense. And if they, you know, could get pressure on Brady, it could get ugly. Right. It really could. I, I got to turn this back to the Rams. Yeah, for sorry, a I threw you off here. No, 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 this is good. <laughs> this is good. I want to get back to the, those are conversations I want to have, but there's, there was a thought I had and I asked something on Twitter and people co- misinterpreted it probably because I worded it, you know, in a way that was a little bit hard to, to follow, but I want to check this with you, you all. Have we seen the peak of Sean McVay in LA? And let me give you, let me make the case about why I think we might have, why this last game may have essentially designated he will not go higher than where he's been. So he took what was what was at the time the most talented roster in the NFL to the Super Bowl and lost. Got beat soundly and 
I would say humiliated by Bill Belichick. His, he was known for his offense. They got completely shut down, right? They're never, I don't think they're ever going to have a roster as talented as the one they had then. They've since traded multiple early draft picks, tons of draft capital for players like Jalen Ramsey and, and others. So they have less draft capital coming up than, than the average team. Their cap situation, they've invested a ton in the cap and they got guys they've got to pay. Their cap situation is not pretty coming up. They cannot get out of the Jared Goff contract for the next two years. It is totally cap prohibitive for them to do that. And so you've got at least two more seasons of, of Jared Goff. Then you factor into that the 49ers, who I think are one quarterback away. And we'll talk, we'll talk about all the players they're missing that they're going to be getting back next year. And the Cardinals with Kyler Murray and that team that are rising. I think you, you, there's a case to be made that the, the, that the Rams are in the worst shape of any of the four NFC West teams for the next three years. Even if they get a new quarterback after Goff, how long is it going to take to, to incorporate, build around, if it's a young guy, develop him? And so that's my question. Like, do I think McVay is a bad coach? No. Do I think they're going to fire him necessarily? No. But for the next few years, like, what's the case to be made that the Rams will be better than they are right now? Any of you, any of you have one to make? I think the case is if they get lucky in the draft with a quarterback and, mm. and I don't think that's likely, but the reality is they could seek a quarterback, you know, in the mid round, second, third, fourth round with Jared Goff on that expensive contract, you know, it <laughs> worst case scenario. I mean, if you're, if you're Sean McVay and you land some semi-competent quarterback in the second, third, fourth round, you know, and, and he starts playing better than Jared Goff. Yeah. He's this huge salary waste, but I, I think you can make an argument that actually, I don't th even think that's a hard argument to make. Like that Rams team is a lot better if they have a competent quarterback under pressure. And I, and I don't think it's likely to come from the draft, it, but it could happen. I just don't think it's going to come anytime soon. I think Agreed. that it, that it's gonna it's gonna take a minute. It's gonna take a multiple years for that to happen again. Um, and so, how the game changes, how McVeigh changes, you know, that sort of thing. And then, where does Aaron Donald end up? And you know, there, there's a lot to be said. It's it's not just a quarterback. You have to think long term. And that's the one mistake that the Rams made a couple of years ago is they weren't, they were thinking now, now, now we have to win right now. They never had a plan for long-term and, and now it's bit them in the ass. Yeah. I, I'm very curious to see what the backup looks like this week. Mm -hmm. Wofford, I think his name is just to see like if McVeigh is the way people talk about him, you can just plop any quarterback in there and all of a sudden he'll be fine. And obviously the one game sample on a short week, that's obviously not going to determine much, but I'm just very curious to see how it looks see if it's purely Goff's fault, to see if it's maybe there's a scheme issue. So that will be pretty telling to me just from a quick standpoint. But yeah, Brian, when you sent that out, I definitely went into their cap situation and I noticed that Goff is – Here's the they, thing, guys. Like I, I like parts of their roster. Like I like I like the, the player. Oh, yeah. I like the players that they're building mm -hmm. around actually on, on a couple of players on both sides of the ball. You know, you have Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. You have those two receivers in – uh, Woods and Coop, like, you know, Higby is decent as much as of a shit human he is. Like, there's some 
there's some talent and some cornerstone pieces on both sides of the ball. The real, the real deficit there is the quarterback position. They, they will only go as far as Jared Goff can take them. I don't care how good their defense is. They will not win a Super Bowl until they get reliable, consistent play out of the quarterback position. And that won't come with Goff. And the narrative's changing now mm-hmm. because I saw Brian thing came out, pro football talk out. That's almost the exact same point a day later. So all of a sudden, you got to wonder, like inside the Rams building, if they're if they're starting to feel it because they were very defensive about the golf the golf mm-hmm. takes from other teams, and like if you're Ramsey or Donald and you you've got to wonder, like mm-hmm. when did they start turning on this guy? No kidding. And you guys, it's not just golf. Andrew Whitworth isn't getting any younger. He's out with injury. No. That offensive line we saw last year when they were actually a bad offensive line, how much that blew up that team. Yeah. And McVeigh's become a running, a running offensive coach. I mean, everyone, all the nerds fell in love with him because he was so pass centric and then he's become very run centric lately. So I think that offensive line is not necessarily in great shape. Um, we'll see like as Robert Woods, if it's two more years with Jared Goff, is Robert Woods still an elite receiver in three years when they get a new quarterback? Like, I think, and are they gonna be able to pay everybody? So I think that the Rams, um, I think the Rams have some challenges and, and it, would it shock any of you if things get dicey that Jalen Ramsey becomes like a malcontent that they have to get rid of because he, (laughs) he like, he won't put up, like he's the type of personality that just won't handle that well. So I don't know. I, I don't think it's a hot take to say that the Rams could be fourth out of four in terms of the NFC West teams and their potential over the next three years. Um, Yeah. I mean, what the, I think I agree with that. What the Niners have going for them is that Garoppolo contract is so bad for the player. Like it's like, it's like one of the most player or the most team friendly deals in the NFL. The 49ers do like a super sort of wacky traditional approach of how they guarantee contracts with their quarterbacks. But um, at least they have a clean slate with the quarterback position. They can almost cut Garoppolo next year. And I think it's like a 2 million dead cap hit. Like it's, it's really not much. They could even go after Dak in free agency if, if he reaches it, if they wanted to. So I think I agree with, with your take on the Rams being positioned for the future, tough from a salary perspective. It's interesting you say that because I kind of dug into all four teams because Sherman came out a couple weeks ago and kind of explained why mm-hmm. he can't be there. They're about to hit a cap crunch in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. They have to pay Fred Warner. They have bad money spent on Quan Alexander and D Ford. And they, they have a shit ton of guys coming back next year. So they, sh- they should be fine, but they're going to have to lose a bunch. I think they have to pay 40 players or something, Sherman mm-hmm. said. And Arizona, the, the the bottom's kind of fallen out on them. Like Cliff Kingsbury seems like a bit of a fraud and mm-hmm. Kyler and Hopkins are great, but they don't have a ton of excitement. Like all of a sudden Seattle really does look like a team that's going to sustain in this division. That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. Look what I done totally. to you boys. <laughs> well, just, just have to be patient. They'll come back to us. I mean, like, what have you and I talked about? We, we, you, you and I are the, you and I are the old timers here, right? Mm-hmm. And what defines what defines a successful head coach? Is it is it one season? Is it one game? Or is it sustained excellence mm-hmm. over multiple 
years, multiple seasons, multiple rounds of the roster, multiple decades potentially with different styles of football. There's only one coach in this division that has that, that resume. And he happens to be in Seattle. It's absolutely true. And I know we have a lot of Pete Carroll haters out there, but you know, I, I think that we argued about this in chat for a while. I'm not even sure who would, but you know, they're like, we made it to the playoffs every year, but one, they're like, so what if you don't win? Well, you can't win if you don't make it even to the playoffs. You cannot win a Super Bowl unless you make it to the playoffs first. And that's really the first step. I think that's why Pete Carroll has said, we just have to win our division. We just have to win our division. If you ask him at the beginning of the season, that's what he says over and over again. And the reason for that is, A, hopefully you get some home playoff games, but B, you make it into the playoffs. The, the true definition of any given Sunday starts in the postseason. And, and I think that that's where you see that long-term thought. You're not just going for the Super Bowl, which we've seen the Rams do, which we've seen other teams do over and over in one to two seasons. It has to be long-term. You have to be able to build from the bottom. And then out of nowhere, the team pops. And it might not have been last year. Maybe it's this year. If it wasn't this year, maybe it'd be next year. But eventually that team will pop again. Yeah. It's it's just amazing, Jeff, because Sean McVay, I, I actually like as much as I as I you know give some shit about him here, like <laughs> I think he's an excellent coach. I think the guy's super smart and I, I'd love to have him as a coach. I'm not saying I would pick him right now, but I, I think he's a great coach. Um, but I I feel like I had to stand on the other side of the boat a little bit to create some balance because the guy hasn't he hasn't even accomplished like the peak of his profession yet. And he certainly I would almost liken him to something we've talked about with the Seahawks a little bit this year. You talk about in baseball, a pitcher getting through the, 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 the order the first time through, right? And then the second time through, and then the third time through. And that's what defines like great pitchers. It's as they can adjust and adapt to how the other people are facing them. McVeigh has not proven that he can sustain excellence and he has not proven that he can win the ultimate game. Um, and so, you know, for me, the first conversation is, or at least the second conversation is, can you reach the, the, the pinnacle of the profession and win a championship? And then if you do, can you sustain winning? And he hasn't done either yet, like in, in a real meaningful way. And so this Rams team, there's a real shot, guys, that they won't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If they lose, I don't know. I, mean, I think people know this. If they lose and the Bears win, Rams are out of the playoffs. That's crazy. <laughs> From like what could have been the number two seed for them. <laughs> I know. Two out of the playoffs. That's how pivotal that game was oh, last week. That's how big that went. Yeah. Yeah. The loss to the Jets, too. I mean, this is the first time all year they've lost two games in a row. I mean, they, they showed that graphic, all these things. Like, Anyway, I, I, I don't think we can overstate how important of a win that was and how much of a statement that was for the Seahawks. It was not a blowout. It was not like everything was working for Seattle. But they really controlled that game against one of the you know, one of the better teams uh, defensively, if not the best team defensively in the league. So that's a big deal. Let's, let's turn our, let's turn our attention a little forward. If we can, let's talk about our favorite faithful 49ers um, who have not made it into the playoffs and will be on the outside looking in. Oh my gosh. 
I was writing my tail of the tape this morning and I went to look at their injury thing. Mm-hmm. Pro football reference for people that don't know, they have an injury history thing that you can go to for any given season. And it's, and it's like a, a list of every player and every week and whether they were questionable or out. I've seen those and they're, I look at them all the time. I had to scroll multiple pages. I've never had to do that. In all the years that I've been writing this, I've never seen an injury situation like what the 49ers have faced this year. And it's not just like a lot of players. It's their best players. I mean, Nick Bosa, I mean, people forget Nick Bosa has been out the whole year. This guy is defensive player of the year caliber of a player. D Ford has been out all year. Richard Sherman's been out almost all year. You know, and you go on and on and on. And now they've lost Javon Kinlaw. Uh, they've lost on offense. They've lost, I mean, they already lost Debo Samuel. <laughs> they've lost Brandon Ayuk. Uh, they've lost Trent Williams. Like, it's just, the hits keep coming, right? Monster, Jimmy. Jimmy, they're under the third string quarterback. And this is why, for my money, I would take Kyle Shanahan as a coach over Sean McVay. I think Kyle Shanahan is, he is someone who has shown sustained offensive excellence over many eras of football, many different teams, many different rosters, and he's accentuated. He is winning with backup quarterbacks. Not a lot, but he's winning. I think six wins with Nick Mullins as your quarterback yeah. is friggin' impressive. That's good really points. Impressive. So I'm curious, like, you know, Jeff, you've looked at this team. What do you make of this 49ers team that's still given teams like the Cardinals who are fighting for the playoffs everything that they can handle so far this season? Well, I was – very impressed with how they were last week. It was a must-win game for Arizona, and they went in and pretty much destroyed them with a third-string quarterback. So a couple of things stood out to me in that game. One is how good their run scheme is, and it's been the Shanahan thing forever. Like, Mostert was an undrafted free agent. Jeff Wilson almost had, I think, over 200 yards last week. Losing Trent Williams changes that. He's, he's an all-pro kind of left tackle. But, and number two is how hard they play defensively. And they were missing last week. Sherman, they were missing a bunch of guys and Fred Warner and some of the other, Jason Verrett, they played so hard defensively. And they were just like, they, DeAndre Hopkins was a non-factor. That was a really impressive performance. So Robert Sala, he does annoy the shit in me too, but he's, he has his team playing really, really hard. And those were the two things. And Brandon Ayuk is a player. He's awesome. So him not playing there, He's been like very close statistically to a lot of the best rookie receivers in the league. So not having Samuel, him, and and George Kittle does change them. He 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 has said to that run scheme. His, him as a blocker is just he's a dynamic blocker. Um, Dana, one of the interesting things that Pete doesn't usually admit some of these things, but a uh, uh, reporter asked Pete about Jamal Adams and whether they. What part of the reason they acquired him was to cover guys like Robert Woods, which was a weird question. He did cover Robert Woods in this game a little bit and did some good stuff, but Pete actually said, well, no, not as much that guy, but you know, he didn't want to say it. And then he said, yeah, that, that tight end down in San Francisco um, Kittle was probably on John's mind when he went out and got Jamal Adams. Uh, Jamal didn't play in the first game. Kittle did got injured in the first game. Ryan Neal was a starting safety for the Seahawks in that game. Um, 
what do you think about Jamal Adams and George Kittle um, as a matchup? That's tough because, well, here's the thing. I hate to say it. It hurts me to my core. George Kittle is really, really good. And, and I think a healthy George Kittle. What do you think about his haircut? We don't discuss bad hair. <laughs> is it not horrific? It's bad. It's so, it's bad. so bad. So bad. It's so bottom bad. five tight end type of haircut. <laughs> um, but you know, I think that Kittle and oh, I'll get murdered on both sides of this. When healthy, is better than Travis Kelsey. I just think that they that he just has that kind of spark to him, and that um, he's very dynamic. Um, and that's with crappy quarterbacks. I think if he were to get a real quarterback, I think it would be crazy. But if you talk about Jamal Adams. I speed for speed. They can match up. Um, I just feel like George Kittle is so big compared to Jamal Adams, but I think his speed will help him. Um, I don't see, I I see them using kind of more of the bigger guys in the middle, maybe more than linebackers to kind of control him. So that's interesting to me that he brought him up for the, for the tight end, but with, with Jamal Adams and his, his pure speed, which we saw beautifully in that game when he ran around and caught that, you know, saved that touchdown. I think that that's where he could be probably the most impactful against Kittle. But I mean, I, I will admit, I didn't watch a ton of that game last week, so I'm not sure how healthy Kittle is. Um, I mean, did he, did he look really well. solid? Did he? Okay. Nice. See, like I said, I didn't get to watch a ton of that game. So, well, that's just discouraging. But yeah. um, again, you third have that third string quarterback thrown it to him. Exactly. Yeah, CJ Beathard. I- I'm looking forward to seeing that matchup. I hope we see that because I think that has implications for future years. But, but Evan, yeah. I want to ask you for about- next year, definitely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, there's another question I have about this game. So, so missing in that first game for the Seahawks was Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, and Rashad Penny. All three of those guys are back right now. And my question for you is who do you want to see get the bulk of the carries in this game, knowing what's on the line for the Seahawks, knowing where you're going in the playoffs. Do you start Chris Carson and give him normal reps? Do you give Carlos Hyde a little bit more or do you, do you make Rashad Penny the starter and give him the bulk of the carries? I think you do. Uh, yeah, you kind of teed me up perfectly. I, th- I think you, I think you keep Carson in rotationally, keep him in the game. But I, I think Penny definitely deserves the bulk of the carries for two reasons. Number one, you want to rest Carson. I think as much as possible with fresh legs for the playoffs, you're going to need him. He's a critical part of the offense. Number two, you kind of need to start seeing what you have in Rashad Penny mm-hmm. post injury. Like Chris Carson could very well be playing. Let's not forget this potentially his last few games as a Seahawk. Like he's a free agent after this season. Once the playoffs end, he's hitting free agency. And Pete Carroll confirmed that pretty much, you know, reading in between the lines that he's going to test free agency, that they're not going to get a deal done before that. So I really want to see what they have in Penny. Uh, Can he be the lead back for them next year? Um, is that, you know, can they, can they risk letting Carson walk? Uh, I think those are really important questions, but I think the priority goes to getting Carson fresh legs for the playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you not only want to see him for next year, but you want to see what you have going into the playoffs, right? Like, 
Um, let's see what they got in this kid. And I think he's looked pretty good so far. There, there's been a few plays you, you know, you wish a little bit more, but I'd like to see him get 15, 20 carries and see what he does with it. And, and I don't think that that's a big risk where it's like, oh my gosh, they're really thrown in the towel by playing Rashad Penny. In fact, mm-hmm. I'd go as far as to say, I think it would be a mistake, a, a coaching mistake if they played Chris Carson normal snaps um, in this game. It's different than like, you know, I'm not saying they should put Geno Smith in different. I think Rashad Penny is a guy that, that, you know, should be able to be sufficient in there. Um, Jeff, I've got a similar question for you. Yeah. Brandon shell is practicing. He's limited. He's been out for a while, clearly still hurting from that, that high ankle sprain. Cedric boy, he has played pretty well in reserve. Do you want to see shell? get some snaps, get back and, and play in this last game to get ready for the playoffs. Or do you want to see them save him um, and, and play a boy? I would like the second option. I would like them to rest him. I, I think their best chance of going, making a playoff run is having shell as healthy as possible. And he's had the kind of injury that you could re-aggravate it pretty easily. So any time off and any rest that he can get, I think is ideal at this point. The Niners don't have like they have Kerry Hyder, who's been a pretty good edge rusher, but they don't have like the dynamic guy that would terrify you. That if you put out Cedric there, you're going to be screwed. So, yeah, I'm my answer is that I would roll Cedric this week. Yeah, I, I, I just agree. don't think there's enough at stake. Do you? There's just not quite enough at stake. It, you want him as healthy as humanly possible, and so since you know that one position is not going to make or break you know, this team or the seeding, I, I think you let him sit. I think it's, well, it's funny, Dana. I almost think about it the other way. I think there's a lot at stake, but not for this game for the, yeah, play. that's what I mean. Right? That, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's that one position is not going to make or break whether they win this yes. game. Yeah. Yes. Well said. Well said. Hey, let's take some patron questions. Um, if you haven't already signed up at patreon.com slash hot blogger, what is going on? This is your last chance before the year ends. We we're closing in on, on $10,000 raised for charity, uh, which I always add to uh, for my family. And we, we, we donate a bunch as a group. So get in there, get access to the Slack channel immediately. And you can sign up for a full year, uh, get a super cheap deal and um, also get the benefit of, of uh, benefiting charity. I'm hoping that we see that go well past the 10,000 mark. We donated $40,000 last year. Um, hope to, to beat that mark when we donate in May, um, whenever it ends up being uh, with uh, John and Tracy later this year or later next year. Um, Evan, in our Slack channel, patrons get to ask questions of us every week. Hit us with some questions. I've got a really good one. And I'm gonna start with you, Brian, because mm. I think this question is maybe the best question we've ever received. I'm that fascinated by it. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, there we go. I almost lost it. So (laughs) (laughs) what should the Seahawks new year's resolutions be? It could be anything organizationally related, coaching rate related player related. What is like your main hope for this franchise positioning themselves for 2021? Um, if I had more time to think, I might come up with a different answer, but the thing that really like, I'd be happy if they just made this change, their new year's resolution will be John Schneider and the personnel department in the new year. I, John Schneider will 
draft and prioritize talent over need, mm. especially in the early rounds. I will get as many blue chip players that I believe have blue chip ceilings. And even if that creates an abundance of talent at one position, even if mm-hmm. I will not overweight need and draft a thin position in the first round and get a bust. I, I will just won't, won't do that. That would be the number one thing that I would want their new year's resolution to be. Good answer. So this next question, I'm going to split it twofold, one between Dana and one between Jeff. And I'm going to make Dana work against her positive self for a Ooh, second. Well. Okay. Because, because there's a positive and a negative uh, so- sides to the question. So Dana, okay. I'm going to give you the negative. Okay? Right. I like so, it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, it's just the question here. It's not me. I'm just the messenger here. What would you say is Pete Carroll and John Schneider's? So either one biggest failure of 2020 could be draft pick oh, trades, lack of signings, a signing, a result, um, and that Jeff, I'm going to give you the positive slant for that. So you realize this is hard for both of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was the goal right. yeah. specific here. <laughs> um, and if you want time to think, I can go to Jeff first. No, I think, I mean, to kind of tag along on Brian's theme about the draft, I think we have to talk about Taylor a little bit. I think that maybe there was some either miscommunication, miss between, you know, what they expected and what he could actually give them. And I'm not saying I'm writing the kid off. You know, he could be back next year and be as fantastic as they said, but we have talked about this quite a bit. And I think that that drafting a kid with that injury that you just would assume he'd get over, I think that was a pretty big failure seeing who else was still there at the draft at that point. Jeff, for the positive slant. Um, it's For me, this is a no-brainer. It is the Carlos Dunlap trade. Yes. Uh, Carl, I, I remember the day it happened. You guys were not as excited as I was. I, th- I, I thought they had bought – like, this was the one thing I was super excited about. Like, everyone was talking about his PFF stats, and then he got benched in Cincinnati. I thought they just got a, a stud. I didn't, I didn't think he'd be this good, though. But what he's done on a couple levels, one, he cost nothing. He cost B.J. Finney and a seventh rounder. Number two, he has unlocked their entire front four. What he's done for Jared Reed, what he's done in terms of pass rush productivity, what he's done. And he's moved everyone else down, which is the most important thing. Like, Mayo can't be a number one pass rusher. But as a rotational pass rusher, he's been really good. And what he did is just pushing everyone down to the proper spot just had a huge domino effect on his whole front line. And that really changed their defense because it kind of fixed their entire botched offseason at the pass rusher. And they're so lucky this happened because this move changed their entire front four. You've seen what it's done for Jaron Reed. Jeff, I cannot – you're absolutely right that some of the folks on here were, were... – lukewarm i cannot allow myself to be grouped in there i I was i I actually called carlos dunlap as my number one option after they lost the arizona game in the post game you did you did so i'm right there with you but you were very excited so i'm not i'm not dulling your point i just don't want to be you're right right. i should not have included you thank you (laughs) so next question we're going to do round robin and you're just going to give me one answer 
list your early extension candidate priority. So I'm going to shift the question a little bit. So what's your priority extension candidate for 2021 and beyond? I'm going to give you guys a few names just so you are aware. We're talking Puna Ford. We're talking um, Shaquille Griffin, Chris. Chris. Uh, I think the question was specifically phrased as like 2021 free agent. Does oh. that make sense? So Jamal Adams still has a fifth year option or fifth year, whatever it's called. Extension. Oh, you're right. It's a, it's a new deal, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. So who's your new deal priority then? So we're talking people like Chris Carson, Shaquille Griffin. Um, I believe Puna, Puna Ford, I think is in his third to fourth year. I think that was. I don't think Puna's a free agent next year. No, I, I don't no. think so. Um, we're talking Carlos Hyde, Benson Mayo, uh, Quentin Dunbar. Bruce Irvin, Greg Olson, KJ Wright is another one. Um, uh, Brian, I'll start with you on this. Well, now I'm looking at who the reasons are next year. Jeff, um, do you want to start? Yeah. Give me a second here. I will. I'll, I'll start. I'll Ethan Posick is another one. Sorry. Who's an yeah. RFA? What? Who is an restricted free agent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Dana, did you want to start? Sure. It, I, it would be a struggle between KJ and, and, and Dunlap. I think I'd have to go Dunlap. Oh. So Carlos is under contract for one more year. Oh, he is. Oh yeah. I thought he was, I thought this was the end. Oh my gosh. That makes me feel so much better. I, I would have to then, I mean, it's tough because you have to go. The, the problem is the reason why it's hard to pick these is because you have to know who else is available and out there to take the spot. Sure. Right? And so that, that's always why it makes it so tough. I would think that. How about this? Let me give you four mm-hmm. names okay. and I want you to pri- tell me which one is most important to you in re-signing. Okay. Gotcha. So you've got Ethan Posick, Chris Carson, Shaquille Griffin, and KJ Wright. KJ. KJ. Jeff? Ethan Posick, Chris Carson, Shaquille Griffin, and KJ. Yeah, I agree, KJ. Brian, I'll give you some some variety. I think KJ is a good answer. Um, I'm going to go off book. Quentin Dunbar. <laughs> oh, I thought you had to pick one of the four. Because I yeah, hey oh, asshole, it, follow it, the it, rules. <laughs> them game, I don't need the training wheels. So, so he just called us children. <laughs> uh, you guys don't, you know, to do your homework. I, I had to picked up the pulled up the the internet, so I have like multiple screens. I have an advantage. Um, no, seriously, I think Quinn Dunbar is a buy low potential candidate. And so, so, um, I think KJ Wright's a good answer regardless. So, um, I don't think you can go wrong there. I think he's the best player of the bunch, but, uh, if you can get Quentin Dunbar, who, if he, if he is cheap, um, might be a starting quality cornerback at at a very affordable price. Is he ever healthy though? I mean, has he ever really finished a season? But you don't need him. You don't need to count on him. That's the that's thing. That's why it's a one by low. Yeah. Yeah. Who's yeah. last on the list for everyone? Last. Um, would it be Griffin or would it be Carson? Griffin is the worst. Griffin. Decision. I think it's Griffin. Griffin would be the worst move this team could make. Not because he's a bad player, but if you commit multiple years of big guaranteed dollars to Griffin, when you've got DJ Reed, who's clearly a starting caliber player, mm-hmm. much cheaper when you've got Trey Flowers, who's proven he can be a decent starting cornerback, when you've got Ugo Amada, you're going to have Marquise Blair coming back, who I think would be interesting. They played him at nickel. 
He's big enough. What if they slide him outside next year? What if he becomes an outside corner for you and he can do that? Who knows? I thought nickel was crazy, but they were talking about him being a great nickel corner. So I think you've got options there. And I think that you can sign Richard Sherman. I think I I'm expecting, I'm, I'm not counting on it, but I'm expecting Richard Sherman to come back to Seattle. And I have reason to believe that there's no burn bridges there that would keep either him from coming back or the team from bringing him back. So um I would do that. If, if, if you sign Griffin, you're getting a. So a I have a question for you, Brian. For oh my God, my head would explode. Top of the corner market is 20 million a year for Jalen Ramsey. Five years, $100 million. Uh, top five is so bottom of the top five. Number five is at 14 million a year. Let's say Shaquille Griffin got a four year, $52 million deal, 13 million a year. Are you happy with that deal? You don't know the guarantees. Just, Let's just go off average. I don't want to spend the money there on him, on him specifically. It's so hard next year with that cap going down. You have to be so careful uh, next year. Is he a blue chip player? Do any of you see him as a blue chip player that you want to build around? No, and it's funny. Joe, Joe is very, he's on the opposite end of us. Joe did a list today. He had, he had Shaq one. Mm. And he's like, the team would be nuts to let him. And I'm like, I see that so differently. 13 million a year would be the sixth highest paid cornerback in the NFL. He's just like, do you guys watch basketball? He's DeMar DeRozan. He's a good <laughs> player that can't shoot. And Shaq is the good player that can't pick the ball off. It's the same thing. You don't want to pay those guys. Yeah. You yeah. guys realize that Nathan's head is exploding right now. Cause none of us said Chris Carson. We didn't want him. Back. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Let's move on. To another question. Um, this is a good one. Who or what do you think is most responsible for the Seahawks defense uh, turnaround in the second half of the year? Is it coaching, personnel, play calling, scheme? Uh, Jeff, I'm going to give you this one. Uh, I'm going to go personnel. I think a bunch of things happened. Um, one, the corner play was so bad in the first half of the year. I think pulling out a Dunbar who was playing on a bad, a wonky knee, with DJ Reed, who's been a phenomenal player, completely short up one side of the field. I think uh, I mentioned what Dunlap did as a domino effect, the defensive line. And we all were kind of overreacting to Ryan Neal early in the year, but going from Ryan Neal to a healthy Jamal Adams, like, and I think again, Jordan Brooks on the field instead of Cody Barton. I think all areas of the defense yeah, the coaching figured out how to utilize Adams, but I think their personnel got so much better. Such Good a, answer. Um, big question. The final question I will pose uh, will be to you, Brian. Who is your ideal divisional round matchup this year? Assuming we beat um, the 49ers. So would you want to play the Packers, the Saints, the Bucks? Who do you think we match up best against? Um, the bucks, um, tell me why, because I think they've gotten really inconsistent corner play and, um, uh, I'm forgetting, I think his last name would be Phillips or someone. I can't remember. No, uh, starts with a C anyway. Um, they've got some corners that have really been uneven and I think DK would have a field day, um, there. And so, I like that matchup for the Seahawks. Um, and I think the Seahawks defense would give, give them trouble. Um, so uh, that would be my preference. 
that concludes our questions. We accidentally answered the other questions throughout the show. You know, I just, we'll, we'll transition and we'll, we'll kind of finish up on, on the 49ers game here in a second, but that question about who do you give credit for this? Like, man, we've been all over the place on this show about it, but like, look, on one hand, you could give Schneider like huge props. The Jamal Adams trade, very, very like scrutinized by fans all over the place. He's looking like the cornerstone of your defense for the next generation. Like he looks like the elite blue chipper that you wanted him to be the do everything player, right? You could say the DJ Reed, like that clutch clutch move and how much that has meant to this team, the pick of Jordan Brooks in the first round and what that's worked out to be the pick of Alton Robinson and how that has evolved and contributed the, the signing of Brandon shell and Cedric Abwehi. Uh, you know, even Mike Upati, like go on on Carlos Hyde. Should we be uh, talking about John Schneider for executive of the year? No. <laughs> or in the conversation? I, think, I don't uh, know. I mean, maybe, yeah. but it's hard. You don't think he's in the conversation? I don't know. I guess there's I haven't done that There's a lot of bad. Like the Daryl Taylor thing is weird. They spent two picks on him, essentially. They traded mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Greg Olson. Um. But but the point being is there's a lot of those moves you could you could put it on the personnel department, but you also look at it and like they were in disarray at the beginning of the year defensively. I mean, mm-hmm. as, as as much disarray as you could possibly see, they did not know how to use that team, that defense, um, those players, and now it looks like it just clicked, mm-hmm. and, and they've found the path to getting there and. I'm not a super like film geek guy and X's and O geek guy, but like, I do know, and they should have, they did a good job on the Fox broadcast about this. One of the changes that Pete Carroll clearly made to, to defend Sean McVay's offense is to go to these bare fronts where they have three defensive linemen. And then they have two guys on the edge linebacker or defensive end that really take away the horizontal, like the stretch plays that, that, McVay likes to run the end arounds to woods, the, the stretch runs um, to the running backs. And it showed. And, and, and like, that was a, that, that whole stretch boot kind of game plan was just nowhere. They could not get that going. And that's all coaching. I mean, it's not all coaching. The players have to execute, but like they found a way to combat like your biggest, you know, uh, foe in the division. So you could really make the case that the coaching is is what deserves most of the credit for the turnaround. So it's it is inch. It's a I, I guess it's a fascinating question. Um, uh, and- so I have been asking you almost every week on this show, or what feels like almost every week, about Ken Norton, and would you still fire him? Yes. After the year ends. Yes. Would you still fire him? Hundred percent. After. I don't really disagree with you. But yeah, that's wild. I was asked that question on Twitter by um, someone. In my answer, it might seem like I'm kind of swerving around it, but my answer is yes. But at the same time, we need to know how much of the, the defense Pete Carroll took over at half the year. You know, we all kept saying he needs to step in. He needs to do something. This is his team. And so we need to know how much of this is 
Ken Norton switching and the guy starting to get it and play better or Pete Carroll, how much did he coming, you know? So it'll be interesting. Yeah. So um, let's, let's uh, talk about this 49ers game and, and get into our predictions for this. Cause I know we're, we're getting uh, a little bit late in the, in the show. One thing I want to, just to highlight for you guys, I, I saw this as I was preparing the tail of the tape thing. It's fascinating to me. So there's a, there's a ripple effect of this Trent Williams injury that you guys may not realize. So he was playing left tackle. They're back up. They're, they're, they're missing their starting center. Their backup center has also been out. So they had to move their starting right guard, Daniel Brunskill, to play center last week against Arizona, which then meant they had to play their backup left tackle at right guard. Uh, I think his name is Justin school. And so this week, now that Trent Williams is out, I think they're going to have to move school back to left tackle and play someone like Colton McKivitz at right guard. Like they're going to have backups at left tackle center and right guard going into this game. Um, so I'm really interested. You got CJ Beathard, your third string quarterback. You don't have Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel. You do have George Kittle. You do have Jeff Wilson who had 180 yards rushing. Um, you still do have Fred Warner and you do have, you know, Jason. Well, let's, let's be straight up, Brian. CJ Beathard is far more dangerous than Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not even kidding. That you, th- if the, That's- if there's any Niner faithful listening to this show, I am not kidding. There's probably I'm, some minor fans that would agree with you. I think that's ludicrous, but it's not. Jimmy G just does little pitches and dump offs, dink and dunks. At least CJ Beathard has a fuck it mode. You know what I mean? Like, it's true. <laughs> it's that so, simple. It's that simple. Jimmy G Beathard will not throw it downfield. He might be smarter than, than, uh, than Jimmy. But um, let's get into, let's get into predictions for this show or for, for this game. Um, Cause I also want to do want to talk a little bit about what happens the week after, but um, Jeff, what do you expect the score to be in this game and which Seahawks player is your pick to have a big game? It's a really weird game to predict because if things aren't going well and say like the green Bay or the new Orleans game, Seattle might start resting people and Second half might become Geno Smith and Ben Burkirvan. and so let's just assume that they have they have to play the whole game. Assuming that, I think Seattle wins this game twenty four to ten, and I think it's a game where DJ Reed is just he's probably he he was awesome last time they played, and he's covering like Kendrick Bourne or one of those guys against CJP. Like, I think he, he could have like a pick six this week. So what, did I miss your score? Sorry. 24 to 10. 24 to 10. Okay. All right. Dana, your score and your pick to, to click on the Seahawks. Um, I'm going to predict 31, 13. Mm. I think that is Seahawks? going to be because yes. Seahawks, yes. Um, I think that's going to be because if it kills me, Quandre Diggs is getting my pick six this week. I've been asking for it all season long. When he intercepted that ball last week, I'm like, go, 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 go. Because that was finally going to be it. And he didn't get it. So 
Quandre, buddy, this is your week. Pick six. So I think, yeah, 31, 13. Evan. I'm going to go 34, 16. And I am going with a big day for Ugo Amadi. I think Ugo Amadi gets a turnover on Sunday. I think uh, he's been a low-key sort of underrated defender all year long for this defense. Um, and I think he comes up with a pick or a forced fumble. Love it. Love it. I'm going with 25-13 Seahawks. Uh, and I think that um, I think Jamal Adams is going to have a big game. Uh, I think it uh, might be an obvious one, but, but I'm looking forward to that. So everybody – uh, look forward to seeing you Sunday. We are expecting a special guest for our post-game show. Um, if you watch The Walking Dead or ever did, uh, Negan, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, is uh, supposed to join us uh, for post-game. And he has more of a potty mouth than Evan. He swears like a sailor. <laughs> so could be an interesting one. So he says, win or lose, he's going to be there. Um, uh, he's been trying to join us for a while, and we're looking forward to it. So hope to see you all there. Haven't already, please like the video. Give us a thumbs up. Please subscribe. Click the bell to get notified when we go live. Um, and join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Um, that's part of how we grow the show and uh, give all of you a great experience along the way. So take care, everybody. Enjoy your NFC championship NFC championship, NFC West championship. Hopefully that's a, a prophetic statement. Um, and we'll see you all on Sunday. Take care and go hot.